Good morning, everybody. Great to see you on this Labor Day weekend. You never really know who's going to show up for church on a holiday weekend. You never really know. And last night, we had a full house like this, and I thought, man, a holiday weekend, and the Razorbacks are playing the first game during church, and there's people that showed up. I know we're committed to Jesus now. Look at you. Look at you. The real Christians are here. No, I'm <laughs> I don't believe, I'm kidding, I'm joking, of course. But I am glad to see you. Hey, this past month, we've been in a series called That Kind of Church, where we've been talking about our mission and our vision as a church family. We're gonna finish that series today with our fifth and final bullet point of our vision. But before we do that, let me just say a couple of words about what's happening next week. Next week, starting September 11th, is our official kickoff for our next season of Life Groups. And you've noticed out there when you came in, hopefully there's still Life Group leaders around tables. All those people out there have openings in their Life Groups. So we encourage everybody in our church to be in a life group. And so if that's you, man, before you go home, go talk to some of the leaders. And if there's a match there, just scan the QR code at their table, sign your name, boom, you're in that group. It's that easy. And uh, those kick off on the 11th. We're going to have study guides available on the 11th because we are starting a brand new series on the 11th called Rescued, a study through the book of Exodus. Now, how many of you remember the origin series we did last year? We studied through Genesis. Think of this just like the next part of that series. We went through Genesis and and now we're going to go through the very next book of the Bible, Exodus. I mean, I love the book of Exodus. There are so many practical things in, our, in there for our lives today. You would be amazed at, would you study how God rescued the Israelites from slavery out of Egypt? You'd be amazed at how relevant that is to our daily walk with Jesus. So I, I want you to be here for that. That starts next weekend. Bring your friends. I just think it's going to be an awesome thing. Also, we sent out an email yesterday to the whole church letting you know that we're in that same season we always are this time a year where we're bringing on new men into our eldership and men that have finished their terms are rotating off. So uh, please read that email because we tell you a little bit about Steve Conway and Steve Ames who are the men that believe that after this process that God is raising up to join the eldership and I want you to also thank uh, Gary Winscott and Jeff Singleton who are completing their terms as elders and rotating off and and, and especially give them a big hug and let them thank them. They were elders during that whole COVID craziness and a building program and they came out with all their hair and they're still happy and no, but they've done a great job and make sure you tell them thank you. But um, read that information. If you didn't get that email, contact the office. We'll make sure it gets sent to you and make sure you get on the future list for emails like that. But um, we just believe these are the guys, Steve Ames, Steve Conway, that God is, is raising up. We've spent time with them. Like this is their season. So on the 18th, that weekend, we're gonna have an affirmation vote of all the members. So just come ready for that and uh, read over that information. Information and, and it will tell you everything that's happening there. Well, as I was saying a moment ago, we are finishing our current series, um, That Kind of Church. Um, I've enjoyed spending this time talking about what we are determined to do as a church family and how we're going to accomplish it. And let me just encourage, if you missed any of these sermons, make sure you go back and listen to them. They're on our website. Just go to the front page of our website, click on the sermons tab, and it'll take you right to where the sermons are. And uh, this is, it's that important. We need to be on the same page here as a church. And also, if you are here looking for a church, you know, for, for whatever reason you found yourself here today, or maybe you're watching online right now, uh, you may not know this, but we have so many people that consider New Life their home that, uh, that live in other states. They have found us online, or there's not a church where they're at, or whatever. And so whether you are moving here, you're watching, you're, you're, you're looking for a church, I'm just telling you, this is the series that you want to pay attention to. So I would encourage you, go back and listen to those sermons. 
Because I believe when you do, it will paint a picture for you of what this church is all about. And you will know if this is the kind of church that God is leading you toward. So let me encourage you to do that for sure. Well, like we've done these last couple of weeks together, let's start with our mission statement, what we are determined to do. Let's say it together. We exist to lead all people to new life in Christ. That's exactly right. That is a reflection of what Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. We call it the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we're going to look at that real quick again. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I'll tell you, what we are determined to do is all about winning people to Christ and helping them become more like Christ every single day. That's what we're talking about, leading all people to new life in Christ. Now, we started to lay out for you the, the, what turned out to be a five bullet point vision. We didn't set out to make five bullet points. That's just how it came out of the, the elders and I as we were working on this and, and writing it down. The first one, how are we going to accomplish our mission? We are going to do it through life groups, Bible studies, and targeted ministry opportunities for all ages. There would be the vehicles for discipleship and care. Are those the only ways? Of course not. But that's what we're going to focus our energy on and our resources towards of having incredible life groups, Bible studies, and targeted ministries. And they're going to help people grow to be more like Christ and reflect the character of Christ, which is his compassion and care. How else are we going to do it? Through a multi-site strategy. In case you don't know, if you're brand new with the church, we are in the process as we speak of building a, another campus out on the west side of Bella Vista, right off the new bypass at the Highlands Boulevard exit. The Lord bless us with some acres of land out there. And, and next year, this time, we're going to be one church meeting in multiple locations. And we think God's going to do incredible things through that. How else are we going to accomplish our mission? Excellent worship services with biblical preaching. We want this time together to be incredible. We want it to be excellent because God deserves it. It should be very important to us too. And it's definitely important to the people that we're trying to reach. And they're going to be biblical. There will be biblical preaching in this church. How else are we going to do it? We're going to have partners, strategic, global, regional, and local ministry partners to maximize our evangelistic effectiveness. We've got partners all around the world that believe in the Great Commission, leading all people to Christ, just like we do. And we partnered up because the Bible says two are better than one. And now today, I'd like to finish off um, this vision, this written vision of how we're going to fulfill our mission. And our final point is this, a personal commitment by all to living a holy life expressed through attending faithfully, living honestly, serving wholeheartedly, giving regularly, and always maintaining unity within the body of Christ. Now, like I've done these last few weeks, I'm going to give you a moment of quiet. I would like you to read that through two or three times to yourself and just absorb it. All of these points of vision are very personal, but I can tell you this, this fifth and final one is very personal. We're talking about each and every person who calls new life their home, personally committing to living out your faith each and every day. It's a personal commitment by all. 
It's about each of us taking our faith so seriously. None of us in this church family having a casual or a flippant approach to our walk with Jesus, but rather to have this, I am all in when it comes to my walk with Jesus. That's our desire. That's the vision. That, that is right there, all of us, all in, all for Jesus. And, and just to let you know, that right there is the only approach the Bible takes on this subject. You realize that? It's the only approach. Um, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus meets a man, and the Bible just gives us this detail. He had a lot of stuff. He was wealthy. And the guy comes up to Jesus, and he asks him, I think, a very sincere question. I think it's a question that... All of us have asked at some point or in some way. He comes up to Jesus and he says in verse 16, hey teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. What do I gotta do to be saved? Now this guy thinks like a lot of people. I gotta be a good person. I gotta be better than other people. So what are the good things that I have to do? It's, it's amazing how many people think that way. Even sometimes Christians fall in that trap. How good do I gotta be to win God's favor? And Jesus answers his question, I think, very honestly. Jesus said, you know, in verse uh, 18, he said, uh, um, keep the commandments. That's what you got to do. And the guy's like, that's great. Keep the commandments. I can do that. And he says, which ones? Now, isn't it just like us? How good do I have to be? Which commandments? I've got my list of them. I got them all right here. I'll start checking the boxes. Which one? And Jesus says, well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy's like, I am a good dude. I have kept all of these. But then he asks this kind of weird qualifying question. What do I still lack? Now, I don't know why he asked that. I don't know, you know, we don't have video cameras. This isn't a caught on TV moment. So all we have is the text. But I'm wondering if there was just something in Jesus' body language, something in his tone of voice, something about Jesus, I think, uh, verbally or non-verbally communicated to this guy, it's not good enough. Checking these boxes is not what I'm talking about. And so the guy's like, what do I still lack? Jesus said this. If you want to be perfect, now let me stop right there and just analyze one word because this could be confusing. Do you, if you want to be perfect, that English word perfect obviously is a translation from the Greek text. The, the New Testament was written in Greek. So that word that we translate as perfect is a Greek word called teleos, and that means mature or completely whole. So understand, Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be completely whole in this, if you want to be mature, if you, if you want to have it all together, if you want to be perfect, that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying strive for perfection here. He's saying, if you want the full deal here, if you really want to know what I'm talking about, then he says this, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked right into this guy's heart, very much like he looks into each of our hearts. And he knew that there was something in his life that was gonna interfere with him, his ability to be all in. I think Jesus just knew, hey, this is gonna be a problem. You've got a lot of attachments. You've got a lot of things that you love and it will be problematic if you're talking about following me. And since this guy was so personally committed to his things, Jesus knew that he could never be personally committed to following him. So Jesus' counsel was, jettison all this stuff that you just love and you think you need, 
You get rid of it. So it's not a problem. It's not a hindrance anymore. And then you come follow me. And the guy couldn't do it. Friends, let me just tell you something here. This is the only position the Bible has on such matters. You either follow Jesus or you don't. You're either all in or you are all out. Jesus even talked very openly about this middle of the ground mentality when he told an entire church one time in Revelation chapter three, he said this in verse 15, he said to the church, I know your deeds, you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, you're not hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Consider another example from the Bible of somebody who's not all that dissimilar from the rich young man that Jesus just interacted with. This is a man who went ahead and sold his stuff and he followed Jesus. The example I'm talking about is is a man that we know in the New Testament. His name is Barnabas. The, The Bible gives us a few details about Barnabas. Most notably, he was a traveling companion of Paul and he was like the first guy that came around Paul. Back then his name was Saul. And he vouched for him to all the Christians. If you know Paul's history, he was a persecutor of Christians. And when he became a Christian, the church was still afraid of him. And it was Barnabas that said, hey, this guy's cool now. He's with us. That was Barnabas. But before all that, Barnabas, we can deduce some details from what the Bible says about him. It it seems to indicate that he came from some resources. He came from some wealth. He had some standing in the world. He had some respect. But unlike the rich young ruler, when Barnabas was presented with a similar decision, he made a completely different choice. Here's what we learned about Barnabas in Acts 4, verse 36. It says this, Joseph, which was another name for Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, here's what he did. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Similar call, completely different response. Barnabas sold what he had and he went all in. Why did he do this? Why was this his decision to give it to the apostles? Well, the Bible tells us in those earliest days of the church when Barnabas became a follower of Jesus, there was an understanding among the church that the poor and the needy among the church family would be taken care of. And the Bible says that people who had land and other things, they sold those things, gave the money to Jesus' disciples and they made sure that nobody had any need. And so he was doing that. He became a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus and I've got what other people can use. I'm all in. Here you go. Later in the book of Acts, Barnabas is described with these words. Acts chapter 11, verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What a great, great description of somebody's life. Do you see the difference in these two examples? You have the rich young ruler and you have Barnabas. One went all in and the other didn't. One went on to do incredible things for the Lord and the other went away sad. One invested his life into the things of the Lord, into the here and now, and his reward will be in heaven. Jesus even said, what do you say? You know, know, treasure these things up in heaven. That's what Barnabas did. The other one though? No, he was okay with reaping his reward on earth. The things that money could buy right now, he was content with that and he sacrificed the reward to come in heaven. One missed out on eternity altogether. 
This fifth and final point of our vision reflects our church family being completely all in to the last person. A personal commitment by all. Every last person who calls new life their home takes their faith so seriously, so committed to their walk with Jesus and so in unity with everyone else in our church family. That, my friends, is what this fifth and final point of vision is all about. How in the world are we gonna lead all people to new life in Christ? I can tell you, it starts right here with every last one of us who is all in with the Lord. To me, this is very much like putting together a puzzle. Do you, does anybody enjoy doing puzzles? I get frustrated pretty easy when it comes to puzzles. My father-in-law, this summer, uh, we had a big family reunion. We had a few days together at a cabin, and then they came over to our house. So he started this puzzle out at the cabin. And it was one of those puzzles, like the most difficult puzzle in the world, where every puzzle piece was the exact same color. Okay, I mean, I, I don't have the patience for this. So he started it out there, and then he got about halfway done with it, and he slid the puzzle on a cookie sheet, brought it to my house, slid it off on my dining room table, and for the next three days continued to work on it, only to get to the very end and realize somewhere between the cabin and my house, we missed a piece. (laughs) This whole puzzle, he spent a week on. I don't have the patience, but I will say this. I think it's kind of like that, what I'm talking about, if you ever put a puzzle piece together or a puzzle, you know that it takes every single piece of that puzzle to complete the picture. Now, if somebody were to come and just randomly hand you a puzzle piece, you're going to know automatically what? That's a piece of the puzzle. It's an easily identifiable thing. It's unique. You, it's, immediately, you know, that is a piece of a puzzle. It can completely stand on its own. It is what it is. But when you join together all the pieces of the puzzle... It creates a grand masterpiece that is a reflection of its creator. You know, this final vision point is like that. Each of us in this room who follow Christ are like individual pieces of the puzzle. You are unique. You are clearly identifiable. That is a Christian. Each of us living out our faith in Christ, anyone who interacts with you will know you are a follower of Jesus, the people we build relationships with. You are different. You are different than everybody else I know. You follow Christ. That is the difference. It's personal. It's individual between you and the Lord, and it can absolutely stand on its own. However, you are also part of a much larger picture that when joined together, it reflects the vision that God has for his church family. So we ask that question, how are we gonna lead all people to new life in Christ? Well, I'll tell you how, when all of us are living out a very holy life. It's a personal commitment to living a holy life. Now that is not me calling you to live a holy life, that is the Lord's calling on your life. And if your aim today is to walk out of here and say, I'm gonna live a holy life because that's what Pastor Joe wants, we have missed the mark. It's what God wants for every last one of us. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
There is this understanding that our God is holy and we are a part of his family, so we should be holy like him. Well, holiness is another way of saying separation. Maybe more specifically, holiness is to be set apart. You are the set apart ones. That's holiness. Um, Set apart from what? Well, set apart from worldliness. Set apart from a worldly system that doesn't honor God. Set apart from evil. Set apart from the things the scripture clearly commands us to have nothing to do with. This holiness, our God is set apart. He has nothing to do with it. And his family, we don't either. And so Peter says, just as he who has called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. And where does Peter say holiness begins? Where do we get ready to be holy people? Well, he says in verse 13, with minds that are alert and fully sober. This is that verse in the Bible that some translations famously say, prepare your minds for actions. So as a Christian, we determine, first of all, in my mind that I'm going to battle with the enemy and I'm going to come out still holy and victorious and I'm going to the world, I'm going to my job, I'm going out here, I'm doing this and I'm mentally prepared to be a holy person. Prepare your minds for action. Is there anybody in here that loves the King James Version? Like you prefer that over everything else for you out here? Okay. I, 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 when I study and get ready for sermons, I look at a lot of different translations. And, and as I looked at this verse in the King James Version, I love their translation of 1 Peter 1.13. Because you know, in the NIV it says, prepare your minds for action. But do you know what it says in the King James? It says, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> do you know what that means? It may not mean anything to you, but if you know anything about like clothing in Bible days, then it makes a lot of sense. Gird up the loins of your mind. Have you seen the chosen or Bible shows or things like that? It's a pretty good representation of what clothing looked like um, back in the first century. Men would wear these clothes that would go from head to toe. It would go all the way down to your ankles and it was tied together with a sash or a belt. Sometimes they'd have a cloak over their head. I mean, clothing was very important for a lot of reasons, but, but you know, that was their clothing. And so if a man was going to gird up his loins, here's what it means. He was going to grab the lower part of his, what we would call a robe, and he would pull it up. And he'd pull it up so his legs are exposed. And you have all this fabric. And he would tie it up, tuck it under his belt. And when a guy girded up his loins, that means that things are about to get serious. I'm about to go into battle or I'm about to go get some work done. Now we're getting serious. Or this is serious time. We've got serious things to do and I can't have this clothing in my way. I'm girding up my loins and we're gonna go after it. And I looked really hard to find like a picture of somebody girding up their loins. And I found this old artist rendition. It was actually in high definition. You have to have a high resolution to make it work on this thing. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Then I got to looking at it a little closer thinking if that picture is that big, I think he girded up his loins a little high, if you want to know my opinion. <laughs> I was like, I can't show that. I can't show that. So some of you are just getting it. All right, I get it. It was a very detailed picture. And I thought, I think that's going to take our minds, ladies, somewhere. We don't need to go. But maybe a more modern way of saying it is like, get your minds ready. It'd be like, I'm going to roll up my sleeve, the sleeves of my mind. I'm ready. I'm determined to be holy. And that's what he's saying. It starts here. You choose. And friends, here in New Life, we choose to be holy. 
It's, it's an active decision. I prepare my minds to be a holy person because my God who called me is holy, he requires that of me to be holy. And I'm like, how are we going to fulfill the mission of leading all people into life in Christ? I'm telling you, we'll get there when the whole church decides I'm gonna live a holy life because my God is holy. That's how we're gonna do it. That's how we're gonna do it. I played a lot of sports in my life. I know you have too. And I think every coach I ever had in a locker room on the sideline of a soccer field or the sideline of a basketball court always said this at some point, get your game face on. We're talking about putting on your spiritual, your holiness game face to get ready to engage this world like the Lord wants us to. So that's how we're gonna accomplish our mission, friends, by living holy lives. Now I wanna walk through just real quickly these uh, finer points of this vision statement here. So how are we gonna live our holy life? What does that look like on a very practical level? What does it look like to express my holy life as a part of this church family? Well, if you look up here, we're gonna walk through this real quickly. It's gonna be expressed through attending faithfully. Attending faithfully. As much as it depends on you, church, be present with your church family for worship. I'm challenging you. Make this a top priority of your week and protect it on your calendars. Parents and grandparents, I'm charging you to set the example for the younger generation in our church family of what it looks like to be faithfully committed to worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ of our holy God. I'm going to share a statistic with you, see if it surprises you. There's groups that track this stuff all the time. But before COVID... How often do you think people on average went to church? In other words, from across our country, coast to coast, anybody that said, I'm a believer in Jesus and I go to church, that person, how often do you think they went to church? Before COVID, that number was 1.7 times a month. 1.7 times, which means that, that that person, if that statistic is true over their life, they'd be in church with the rest of their church family maybe 20 times a year out of 52 weekends. What do you think about after COVID? Do you think the number went up or went down? You know what the national average is today? 1.2 to 1.4 times a month. Which means that people who claim to be followers of Jesus are in church maybe 12, 14 times a year. I'm here to tell you today, friends, that's not good. That's not good however way you want to look at it. And I don't know, I, my opinion is I think new life's maybe a little better than those numbers. But if those numbers reflect any of your patterns, here's my challenge to you. Aim for something better. Let this Sunday right now be a marker. I'm gonna aim for something better. And without taking this sermon in a whole different direction, let me just tell you, when we're away from our church family, doors get open for all kinds of evil. We need to be together. You need this time every week. We need to be mutually encouraging one another. We need to be in the presence of the Lord. We need to worship. We need to be together. Friends, we need it. I get asked from time to time, and maybe I've had this conversation with you, um, but I've had parents ask me, should I make my children go to church? And I'm just gonna tell you my answer. If you ask me today, I'll tell you the same answer. If you ask me 10 years from now, I'll give you the same answer. If I'm still alive 50 years from now, you'll get the same answer. The answer is yes. In my opinion, you should make your kids go to church. You should force them to go to church for the same reasons you make them take a shower. Because they need it. Even when they don't think they need it, you as a parent know it's for their good. So that's my challenge to you. That's my opinion. 
I can tell you this, that as your pastor, and I know many people in this church family share this opinion, but as your pastor, we want to create a church that is so awesome, so meaningful, so relevant, so real, that you're never going to have to force them to do it. They're going to want to be here. In fact, they may drag you to church one day. That's what we're trying to create. So attend faithfully. How else in our vision here, how, how, what does it look like to live out practically this holy life? Well, live honestly. Live honestly. And I hope that's an obvious one. Being a person of integrity. In fact, Christians should be leading the charge when it comes to integrity. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 21. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. What does a holy life look like? One of integrity. How else? Serving wholeheartedly. Do you see that in the vision? Serving wholeheartedly. Our hope is that every person who calls New Life home will find a way to serve the Lord. Um, to be involved in the ministry of God's word. Whether it be just personal evangelism, you're trying to reach people, maybe that's in one of our targeted ministries using your gifts, or in any of the thousands of other ways that you can serve the Lord. Do something intentional that has God's name attached to it. Serve, you know, serve wholeheartedly. Wherever God wants you to go and do, serve him. Give regularly. What does holy living look like? What is a commitment to being all in? Be it, give regularly. I'm not turning this into a sermon on tithing, but a holy life for the Lord is a generous life. We encourage here at New Life giving that comes right here from the heart evangelism throughout the ages we see it starting in the book of acts evangelism has always been fueled by the generosity of christians and we see that here at new life on a practical level if you consider new life your home even if you're just joining us online because you live somewhere else in the country and doesn't allow you to be here personally if new life is in your home then you should share in the spirit of generosity here at new life the Bible, when it teaches about generosity and giving, the heart behind that has always been the concept that it is God who brings the harvest. You look at these examples of the Bible. God brings the harvest. And we as God's children, we return the first part of that harvest to God. The first fruits, if you will, to him. It's a reminder to the church family that everything we have comes from God. When we take our, our harvest and we give that back to God part of it, it's saying, God, this is from you. I acknowledge that. I'm nothing without you. Here you go. You mean more to me than this. It's also an incredible expression to God in thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you've given to me. I completely trust you and thank you for everything. It also provides the resources for kingdom work. To be a part of a holy, committed life and be a generous person. And finally, always maintain the unity within the body of Christ. Always, as a church family, we're gonna work towards maintaining unity here. If you ask me, anybody who is striving to live a holy life always has the aim to stay united with their brothers and sisters in Christ, always. You realize some of the Bible's harshest criticisms are for those that sow seeds of discord and disunity within the church. As you interact with people, if you come across somebody who claims to be a Christian, yet everything they say is negative, everything they say is slanderous, and tearing people down, whether it be you know, um, um, in person or online or wherever you see it, I'm telling you, that person does not have the heart of Christ in themselves. Because they're destroying the work of the church, they're not aiming for unity. And so friends, 
Our goal as a holy person is to, we're going to stay together in, in Christ. Romans 14, 19 says this, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. This does not mean that we're always going, going to agree. It's not even realistic or practical that you're going to have 100% agreement on everything that you ever set out to do. We know that to be true at work. We know that true to be in our family. We know that to be true in every aspect of our lives. But at the end of the day, as a Christian, being in unity is what we strive for. Living at peace with one another is our aim. Even through disagreement, our aim is still, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to build each other up. And that takes maturity. Paul said this in Ephesians 4, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I can tell you somebody's been in church leadership for many years. Our enemy does his very best work when Christians turn on each other. So we must always maintain unity within the body of Christ. It's like a huge shield that he cannot get through. Not even a foothold. So friends, there you go. That's our mission. That's our vision. That is what we are determined to do. And this is how we're gonna strive to fulfill our mission. And just one final time before we're all out of here today, let's look at it as one full complete unit. Why do we exist? We exist to lead all people to new life in Christ. How are we gonna do it? Life groups, Bible studies, targeted ministry opportunities. Not the only way, but it's where we're focusing all of our energy right now. We want everybody to be involved. How else are we going to do it? Multi-site strategy, one church, multiple locations. We're going to spread out and, and maximize our effectiveness, create more opportunity for people to come be a part of and experience this Christian community that we love. Next year, it's going to look totally different. Next year, I mean, there's going to be a door open to this church family and, and potential we didn't even realize existed. It's going to be incredible. Please be praying about that. The church is being built as we speak. How else are we going to do it? Through excellent worship services with biblical preaching. These times have got to be excellent. I'll expand that and just say we're trying to build an awesome church. An incredible, that, that, that meets all the things that the Bible says. And we know we're going to do it biblically. And these sermons, whoever fills this pulpit is going to preach biblical sermons. Because that's what it's all about. How else? We're through partnerships. We're, we're locking arms because two are better than one with organizations and missionaries all around the world because they're committed to leading all people to new life in Christ just like we are. And finally, through a personal commitment by every last one of us in this church family to live a very holy life. We determine in our minds that we're gonna be holy because our God is holy. And these things, this holy life is gonna be expressed in certain ways. I'm gonna be with my church family. I'm gonna be there regularly. I'm gonna, as much as depends on me, I'm gonna be with them. I'm gonna serve wholeheartedly. I'm gonna live honestly. I'm gonna be a generous person. And I'm always gonna maintain the unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, that's it. And I do believe that, that this right here, this, this vision, this mission, God is gonna to use to change our community. I believe we determined to do this, and we are doing this. We're gonna to continue to see people give their life to Jesus Christ. So, that's my challenge to you, friends. I hope that you will take this all in. We'll publish this. It will be out there. It's in the app. You know, it's, it's, you can see it. But I, I pray you continue to pray on this, and let's all work for this together in great unity. 
Let it be known that there is still one little piece on this earth filled with people that want to honor God with everything they do. Let it be known right here. Let's let Bella Vista know what these crazy Christians are doing right now. And some of them will want to come be a part of it. Let's be a great testimony for our Savior. I pray you're all in. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that we could be here. I thank you, God, that we could study your word. As always, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just tell you that as a church family, we just want to be what it is that you want us to be. As best as we can determine, Lord, from your word, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be those kind of people. Lord, we want to be like that wet piece of clay in the potter's hands. And you are that potter and we're that clay. And you mold us and you shape us, Lord, into whatever image you want it to be. Lord, that's what we want to be. That's our heart. We want to humbly be before you like that. So, Lord, you're doing great things here. Lord, we believe in our heart you're going to continue to do so. But specifically, Lord, this call to holiness, I pray we take it very seriously. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that perhaps has come under conviction and said, I have not been living holy. I I have not been, been honoring you. And I pray, Lord, right now that this will be the moment that they have a a come-to-Jesus moment and say, no more. Lord, I commit to you right now. Please forgive me of my wayward ways. And I'm determined right now to follow you wholeheartedly. Oh, Lord, I pray if that's anybody in this room, that, Lord, you'll help them identify and see it and determine some things today. All in all, Lord, we just love you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. We are forever going to be grateful to you for that, and we will always praise you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.